COVID-19 has hit the healthcare industry hard. From PPE and ventilator scarcity to staffing shortages and layoffs, no healthcare organization has been left untouched by the global pandemic. While even the most stable of healthcare systems have been overwhelmed by COVID-19, already constrained rural hospitals are struggling to survive in the wake of this crisis. So, how do rural hospitals find stability and sustainability in the midst of these trying times? With careful planning, dogged advocacy, and strong policy interventions. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 7 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and CEO of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Today we're talking about a topic that's been on all of our minds and has had an impact on our daily lives for many months now, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And specifically, uh, we're going to focus on the effects it has had on rural hospitals and healthcare systems. That's right. Today's guest has quite the impressive resume and just recently published a study on the challenges rural hospitals face that have been accentuated by COVID-19. He is a quadruple board-certified pediatric intensivist by training and holds a doctorate in public health. He is the mastermind behind the Healthy Nevada Project, the first public health study of its kind, is recognized as a national thought leader, and has been named one of modern healthcare's 50 most influential clinical executives. Our guest today is Dr. Anthony Slonim, President and Chief Executive Officer of Renown Health in Reno, Nevada. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Tony. JJ and Rachel, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and Renown Health? Well, certainly, Rachel. Thank you, guys. Again, it's uh, it's been a little bit, you know, some days I have to pinch myself. It's been a storybook career. I always wanted to be a physician. Uh, but never really had an understanding of what that meant. I thought I would open up a practice and take care of families. I always was interested in primary care and, uh, you know, got sidelined a couple of times and took this circuitous journey uh, that led me through uh, being an emergency medical technician, being an emergency department nurse, and then ultimately I did make it to medical school. But while I was on that journey, it's kind of funny uh, in retrospect, uh, an alternative for me, while I didn't think I would get into medical school, was hospital administration. And here I am now, 30 years later, doing hospital administration, but this time as a physician. So uh, great to be here and um, excited to share with you not only my clinical background, but the fact that I have a doctorate in public health, which in the context of the pandemic uh, and with some of the other activities we've taken on is so meaningful and having a lens into the challenges we're experiencing. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. Now, we do this on every episode so we can get to know our guest just a little bit more. Tony, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, the, for, for me, JJ, it's all about being able to lead high-performance teams, I learned really early on in my career that, um, wow, the value that a team brings to bear on a particular topic through their multiple and numerous lenses, through their motivation, through their energy. If one member of the team is you know, falling a little short on energy and enthusiasm today, it's our job to pick them up. If somebody's got a particular bias where they're looking at a problem in one way, it's our job to share other ways to look at the problem. It makes us all better. 
And so having had a diverse, uh, being fortunate to have a diverse series of experiences in my career, um, I like to make sure that all of those lenses come to bear and bring the team up to help us solve those challenges. So, Tony, we want to get to the study you just published with your research partners and the Journal of Biomedical Research. But first, let's talk about the Healthy Nevada Project. I know it's not just a rural project. It's a public health project spanning your entire state, but it was the first of its kind, and it's a pretty innovative study. So what is the Healthy Nevada Project, and how was it born? So, JJ, you know, um, all, all great things come out of very simple origins. Um, it was born by a cup of coffee uh, with myself and the principal investigator, a guy named Joe Jimsky, and we were introduced into this community about four or five years ago. Joe had been here a while, but I was pretty new, and someone said, hey, the two of you guys are from New Jersey. You should go have coffee together and reminisce about old times, and we did, and out of that conversation was born the Healthy Nevada Project. What it is is a community-based genetic testing program. And so essentially what we've done is to offer for free uh, genetic testing to anybody who wants it. Anybody who puts their hand up gets a free genetic test. And we've combined the results of their genetic test with uh, what we call the phenotypic information housed within our electronic medical record. We then add it into the data warehouse because we all know that where you live and the social circumstances in which you live are probably just as important as the health care that you receive. We've added into that data warehouse the social determinants of health and some of the more public health measures around air and water quality to better understand how our citizens in Nevada are living and what they are susceptible to from a, a risk of illness and uh, injury perspective. And that's allowed us to really get out on the front edge of prevention, risk stratification, and opening up not only at the individual level, but at the community level, the kinds of things that are making our community sick. So we're very excited about the project. We keep growing. We've got about 60,000 participants now statewide, and it is one of the things that continues to pay dividends in terms of people's health and well-being. As we move on to talk about your recent study, Challenges Confronting Rural Hospitals Accentuated During COVID-19, I want to encourage those listening who haven't read it to check out the link in the show notes. Now, Tony, you focus specifically on critical access hospitals for this study, looking at the challenges they faced prior to the pandemic and new challenges since the onset of COVID-19 in America. So what were the challenges facing rural hospitals prior to COVID-19 that your study looked at? Sure. And I think it's important to go into the methods that we use in the study. Uh, this simply was an extensive literature review. So we went back, you know, we all know that the origins of critical access hospitals began with the Balanced Budget Act of 1997. And as a way of assuring that those in rural and frontier communities had access, appropriate access to care, because so many of our rural partners were struggling. And what fascinated me earlier on in my career before we, the team took on this paper was um, how amazing it is, frankly, that the way we deliver healthcare in the rural environment, even 20 years you know, past the in initiation of the balanced budget, had not been evaluated. And so many of our rural partners work every day in a context of scarcity. 
And I said, well, it would be really important to better understand how have we more systematically studied? How have we more systematically tried to understand the challenges confronting the rural environment? And so we did an extensive literature review, and that's what the paper encapsulates. The four major things that we found were challenges with payment, challenges with workforce and access to a skilled workforce, challenges with quality, and access to capital to build new and innovate uh, in terms of how we provide care in those rural contexts. And so those were the major things that came through as themes in the literature synthesis. And along with that, you also discussed the new problems that rural hospitals face due to the pandemic, or maybe problems that aren't necessarily new, but are being felt in a different way due to the pandemic or maybe more severely. So what were those issues? And were they brand new or were they existing underlying risks that only became a problem due to the pandemic? Yeah, I think, and we chose the title very carefully because, again, I don't think any of these problems or challenges were new. We actually identified them as standing challenges in the context of how critical access hospitals, in our case, one kind of rural uh, care delivery mechanism, were struggling. And um, those areas were only accentuated by the virus. And so we looked into the you know, what and the how. And I have to say, at the time we were writing the paper, uh, which was earlier this year, I think it was the April, May, June timeframe, you know, the rural environment had pretty much been spared from COVID-19. The idea was, wow, if you could actually do the appropriate public health interventions, isolate, wash your hands, uh, it, would, it would free up, perhaps, those areas that were Uh, could be resistant. And unfortunately, what's happened is now we know, wow, the the COVID pandemic has taken hold in the rural environment and in many ways overtaken the capabilities of some of our friends and partners in delivering care. Your study also makes some recommendations for how to address these problems moving forward. What do those solutions look like? And more importantly, how do we accomplish them? Absolutely. You know, it's one of those interesting things um, in, a, in a public health crisis or in a pandemic, you don't know what you need until you need it. And so all of the great plans that we've developed for our organizations individually um, fall apart when the system itself is denigrated to a point where it can't support elements, where people tend to plan, we all tend to plan for the local crisis where oh my God, what happens? We had this experience here at Renown Health many years ago where there was an airplane crash in the community. And we have really rigorous plans for how we deal with those, you know, the influx of lots of patients who need critical care all of a sudden. And we reach out to our community partners. But when your community partners can't come to your aid, that sets up a whole new level of of crisis where there may not be redundancy that we're accustomed to caring about. The study focused on critical access hospitals in particular, but you also broke down the various rural hospital designations. And for us at Hillsdale, we don't fit into the critical access category, yet we face many of the same challenges and others aren't as concerning for us. What do you see as the biggest differences between critical access hospitals versus community hospitals of disproportionate shared DSH hospitals, for example, in terms of the challenges we face and the ways we can address those challenges? Yeah, it's a great point, JJ. We, we, um, 
I have this, uh, I always say I work on both sides of the brain. The, the left side of my brain is when I'm functioning as a scientist and I have to make sure if I'm going to get the paper published, the methods are rigorous and evidence-based and can be justified with the approach, which is why we selected down to critical access hospitals because it, in fact, was clean as a scientific approach. We certainly acknowledge and recognize all of the great work that goes on in rural hospitals more broadly. And I think, um, and, and we're also uh, uh, appreciative of the fact that not uh, that dish hospitals may not only be in the rural environment, we could have dish hospitals also, a word dish hospital, for example, where we see a, a larger proportion of uh, vulnerable patients and disenfranchised patients. But I think that the issues and the challenges are very similar, as you point out. How, you know, whether you're a critical access hospital or a rural referral center or, a, you know, a sole community hospital, those challenges uh, on in the, in the rural and frontier environments are challenging. And the root cause is based upon the fact that it's scarce. Now, right, you, can, you would never be a good scientist if you weren't planning your next project. The next project, actually, is to go beyond the literature and actually perform a, using a survey methodology and getting the, you know, the bread and butter opinions from people who actually run rural hospitals to say, hey, how did we do? These were the four things the literature um, highlights. Are we on track or we're not on track? And what are the ways you guys think we should go about addressing these challenges? Because again, I spend my days in a, running a health system that's got a thousand beds. I, I can appreciate and value the work in the frontier uh, and the rural setting, but I don't live there, not in the way that you guys do. And so it's always important to make sure that you've got face validity, we call it, by the people who are on the ground and doing the work. So it's clear from what we already know, and even more so from the findings of your study, that rural hospitals are unique in the healthcare industry and are also often more in jeopardy than our non-rural counterparts. And you reference a data point from the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy, which shows that 57 million people, or 18 percent of the U.S. population, roughly one-fifth of Americans, live in areas that are classified as rural. So, you know, that's a significant portion of the people in our our nation. So as a public health and population health expert, what do you see as the short and long-term detrimental effects to this population were our rural communities to lose our hospitals or for that scarcity to increase in our hospitals to become more limited in rural communities? So here's what we know. We know that in 1997, there were a whole host of um, regulations and laws put in place to assure the protections of rural hospitals because in the preceding decade, it had been, uh, you know, we watched more and more rural hospitals close and we knew that was a bad thing. The problem is 25 years later, we still don't have a thorough evaluation of how we've improved based on the Balanced Budget Act of 1997, the care for those who live in the rural setting. And to the point you made, which we highlighted in the paper, that's one-fifth of our entire population across the nation. So cutting them out isn't the right approach, but we also can understand and try to reconcile the challenges that these rural environments face. And that's why I think maybe we need a blank piece of paper because the health system we have today is not the one we would design if we had the latitude to build it from the ground up. 
It doesn't have redundancy. It doesn't have, uh, it's got single point failure written all about it. It breaks the principles of system design. And I think we might do better with, uh, with some learnings that we've had as we come through COVID. That sounds like our next episode featuring Dr. Tony Sloan. <laughs> I believe you're right, Rachel. So, well, let's switch gears here a little bit, and I'm going to get to the what we would call the good stuff, right, Rachel? And uh, we always want to talk about both the challenges uh, and the successes or opportunities that we have in rural health, and there are many. Uh, so, Tony, in your opinion, despite all the challenges that we face and those that you've studied and seen firsthand, what makes rural medicine so important and what excites you about rural medicine when you look at it? You know, I've spent now, uh, I guess since 2007 or so was really when I started to get my first appreciation of care in the rural environment. I worked in a health system that had as a part of it five uh, critical access hospitals. And the thing that I've come to appreciate People have, unfortunately, predispositions about in their mind about what goes on in critical access hospitals and what the care looks like. And another study we did, um, we looked at things that are common, hip and knee replacements, and compared rural hospitals to non-rural hospitals and found actually the care, the quality of care was fine for those. There were no, there were no higher mortality rates. There was no higher cost. People stayed a little bit longer than in the urban setting. Well, that was probably because the swing bed opportunity and the need to, and the opportunity to provide rehabilitation after surgery. But the thing I've come to become passionate about is, wow, people in the rural environment are really something. I mean, what I mean by that is there's an energy, there's a passion, there's a, there's a reason you live there. You choose to live there. This is not something you've defaulted to. And often it's multi-generational and it's that pride that comes with really being self-sufficient and making sure that you're relying on your family and neighbors to live off the land. And that, while that may sound historical and it's context, it is as present in 2020 as it probably was in the 1800s. And that's why I get so passionate about trying to represent the needs and the challenges in that context. Well, you know, I've seen the greatest degree of tenacity uh, in rural health than I have ever seen in any other uh, health industry, whether it's in the metropolitan areas. Um, And I can tell you that from, you know, what you have written, and I want to quote it, um, you know, talks about your approach, says this approach uh, also provides for the classification of rural tracts within metropolitan areas, since some of these are very large tracts of land with very small populations. With this approach, approximately 57 million people are within rural tracts accounting for, and this is what's amazing, 18% of the population and 84% of the land area. And the graph that you put here, when I was reading through this, it's phenomenal when you look at it and look at, you know, just the sheer volume that rural represents. And I guess it gave me uh, a renewed uh, energy uh, to consider what we are doing here in rural America is so critical. Yeah, you know, I'll share with you. It's funny the because um, one of the reasons why you do research is to ask a question and go find an answer. And I had been struggling for all this time trying to, after having worked with and in 
critical access hospitals, you know, for 15 years of my career, hey, I've got some questions about how we actually do. And so that's the only reason why we set out to uh, launch the paper. And again, simply the methods were, let's just look at the literature over 20 years and see what we can find. Because in the constrained and scarce environments of rurals, many people don't have time to do research themselves. So how can we, with our team, go about helping to bring the message to the fore? So I have to say, as someone who is originally from Texas, the rural roots and my family run deep. I grew up in a suburb of Dallas, but my grandmother was raised on a farm. My grandfather was raised in a very small community. And we know how special rural places are. So, Tony, what is your experience with rural communities and what makes them so special and so unique? Yeah, you know, it goes back to the people. Uh, the people are always what uh, I, I can remember specifically a, an experience I had in a rural environment where we were trying to improve health insurance network coverage uh, out there. And, you know, the people are just so genuine. There's no affront. They're just real people who are very proud of how they live and where they live. And that um, those experiences, I think we all can learn from because we don't have necessarily that genuine character flow through in our everyday uh, around the nation approaches. And I think it's just, it's worthy of praise because you see people as authentic. You know, and unlike Rachel, I have spent my entire life in rural America and uh, working in a rural environment and have watched, you know, as our community has come together during COVID-19 uh, and have brought resources to our hospital. That's incredible. Coming outside one night and seeing a van pull up uh, that had a group of church members who uh, made a, a donation of hundreds of homemade masks and and having the local brewery turn his facility into, you know, making hand sanitizer and, and getting that personal phone call at night, you know, myself from the owner of these places and the connections that we have and watching the resolve and the spirit of the rural community uh, has warmed my heart beyond any understanding that I think anyone could have um, when we're on the front lines here and our community has come together as it has. And so, you know, we have experienced it. Uh, we face the journey, the challenges. Uh, most concerning um, is the fact that we have lost 130 hospitals uh, in America since 2010, and it's and it's continuing to escalate right now. I just uh, reviewed just this week of several other hospitals that have closed, and it's it's very challenging. And part of what we're trying to do here on our program is to talk about how that relationship of losing your local hospital impacts, you know, population health management, and how it impacts the health and wellness of our communities who now have to travel hours away to seek medical attention. And so the work that you've put together, you know, my fervent hope is that this gets in the hands of uh, those who are policymakers and decision makers uh, to raise the awareness of the critical importance of rural health in America. So I want to thank you. Um, Dr. Slonum, for your time today. I know you're an extremely busy man. Um, and it's great talking with you today, but I'm going to tell you what, Rachel, I want to bring him back on again soon. Can we do that? I think so. I think I've thought of about 12 new episodes. Uh, I think so. Uh, ideas just from, from this conversation. I think so. so. I think so. So thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate your uh, expertise, your clinical background, your leadership, and most importantly, your passion. JJ and Rachel, it's been a great, great time together today, and thank you for inviting me. And now for our favorite part of the show, 
the voice of the patient. Today, we have a story from Amy, who is one of our own. Amy is a certified nurse midwife with Hillsdale Hospital, and she has been a nurse with us for many years. But when it came time for a knee replacement, she also became a patient. This is Amy's story. Um, I have been struggling with knee pain for, I'm going to say, the last seven years. And um, I was the lucky one in my family. I got the uh, bad knees. I was a runner. Um, I, you know, I'm a nurse. I stand on my feet a lot. Um, so I started having a lot of pains. Um, it got to the point where um, in July of 2017, I had to have a total knee replacement. Um, so I did. I came up to my room after surgery, and um, I was standing at the bedside, like within an hour of getting up there, um, pain-free. It was the most amazing thing to me. Um, and the quality of life was, oh my gosh, I'd been looking forward to that day for so long. It's great to hear from our own team when they also have an experience as a patient. And, you know, sometimes we can be our own worst critics because we know how things are supposed to work and how they're not. So our expectations can be really high. And when our team members can come away from an experience with a glowing review like that, it just shows how successful our team is in truly fulfilling our mission and providing excellent care. Before we close, Tony, we would like to do a fun segment uh, with our guests that we always do, and we're going to ask you of the same as well. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to a rural life? Uh, I'll share with you this. Uh, before I started to really appreciate and understand the rural environment, so every day when I come to work, I wear a suit. I've, I've been wearing suits to work for years. And in this one day, we had to go out a couple hours away to a rural hospital, again, on that same issue where we were uh, addressing the network needs in that community. And I, I had this fluorescent tie on. I had a suit. I had <laughs> you know, these fancy shoes. And the guys around me were all in boots and cowboy hats. And they're like, where did this city slicker come from? He clearly doesn't know what's going on around here. And, and like all things in Nevada, asked me if my tie, because it was a pretty bright and vibrant tie on that day, had, if I bought that tie in Las Vegas, um, which I did, actually. But, <laughs> but I was not so happy with that. The rural environment is a lot of fun. It comes from the genuineness of the people who live there. Well, we're so glad you made it out of there that yes, day. Yes, me too. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us today, Tony. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll be interviewing a rural hospital CEO who has plenty of experience in building partnerships to expand access to care in his community. Join us as we discuss the difference between independence and interdependence and why that matters in rural health care. You won't want to miss it. And as a reminder, we're collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. So if you have an experience to share that has had a positive impact on you or your loved one when receiving care at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct-to-voicemail line at 269-447-1265 and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. Again, that number is area code 269 447 1265. And you can also look that up on our website at ruralhealthrising.com. 
And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Dr. Anthony Slonim, president and CEO of Renown Health in Reno, Nevada. For more interviews like this and more information, or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com.